0: Welcome back to another edition of the Edge podcast. Brendan Slaughter alongside Jared Hallis for beaversedge.com. A happy 2020 and a happy new year to all the Beaver fans and Beaver Nation out there. We're glad to be back on air. Jared, how are your holidays, my man?
1: Very good. Kind of happy that it's all over and we can start focusing on uh, the new year now. And obviously got a lot of things that I'm looking to do and and hoping to accomplish in the new year. But overall, I mean, the holidays are great. Always good to spend time with some family and kind of get a little refresher in
0: no doubt it's always nice to get some downtime and you know just even uh with oregon state you know they they had a big december you know even the coaches got some downtime it was probably great for everyone around the program just to be able to catch a collective breath after that busy design, december signing period because the beavers signed the majority of their class now it's just kind of the fine-tuning aspect
1: Mhm. yep signed everybody but one player definitely a busy time of the year for them i know i like to pretend that i'm busy but i can only imagine the workload that those guys are taking on to uh to be able to bring in what was one of the better classes in, in recent history so a lot of good things there and uh looking looking to to make a little more splash before uh for the february period
0: now you mentioned one of the better classes you know that class obviously was very strong filled a lot of needs for oregon state and again you can check out that full list over at beaversedge.com we got a great deal going right now where you can get a free 30-day trial and check out all of our signing day stuff coming up and You mentioned February, Jared. We'll just briefly touch on it as it's still a couple weeks away. But as the Beavers approach that February signing period, you know, they don't have a ton of roster spots. They're going to have a couple depending on how scholarships shake out. You know, we've talked about the fact they're probably going to maybe go after an offensive lineman. They could still potentially look for a defensive tackle, maybe. What do you think maybe would be the position of need the Beavers would look for uh, in that late signing period?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm still gonna highlight the offensive line, whether it's a guard or a tackle or center or anything. I just think they need a, another body there because I mean, position flexibility with those guys is a little bit easier to come by than you know bringing a say like a linebacker to the defensive line or the, the opposite or whatever. But uh, definitely the offensive line got a couple targets that uh, have have lined up some visits, so it's uh, it's gonna get interesting here within the next couple weeks, and I think the coaches both or all the coaches know that uh, that offensive line is, is the place that they need to be targeting for this yeah. next period.
0: No, you mentioned it right there. And we've even seen that from some of the Beavers Edge subscribers that, you know, the offensive line is kind of an area that everyone's a little, you know, timid about. The Beavers were able to get a couple good guys and they also got Corbin Sorensen, the Portland state graduate transfer. But I think a couple more bodies in that room would make uh, Jim Maholchek and company a lot more comfortable heading into the 2020 season. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. They got a they got a really, really good player that I think is actually going to be incredible in Corvallis and, and Cooper Darling in the first period. So they have to be really excited about him. I know that all the fans are super excited to see what he can do Grown a lot since since uh, high school and just a really big physical guy. So that addition was was great. And uh I think they'll definitely make another good addition or two before uh, before things are signed in February.
0: Now you mentioned Cooper Darling, obviously a really great kid and a really great uh, future prospect. But I also like uh, Talise Fuaga from that class too, just based on his sheer size. Jared, you got to figure, you know, it won't be very long before he gets on campus and starts competing for one of those jobs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like we said in the last podcast, both of those kids are just massive. Yep. And uh, I mean, size like that to me is is the most important thing for for a, a power five offensive lineman. It's just to be. You know, massive. And both of those guys are. And uh, the kids they have coming are not quite as big, but obviously really tall guys. I think both of them uh, are six foot six. So a lot of room to grow and put on some extra weight. So I I think uh, they're kind of setting the tone for the future in a really good way. And I I like the way that they're recruiting these offensive linemen and, and, and looking for the right things.
0: Again, uh, beaversedge.com, The Edge Podcast. That's uh, Jared Hallis. I'm Brandon Slaughter. Thanks for sticking with us here on this new 2020 edition of The Edge Podcast, the first podcast of the 2020 decade, Jared, and we're a part of it. Pretty cool, right?
1: Very first one, huh? Very first first one. Nobody in uh, the world has posted a podcast yet.
0: No, it doesn't even matter, man. It's all about edge. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) no, I mean, heading back over uh, to Beaver's Edge, uh, some good stuff going on this week. Uh, We posted our all-decade team offense and all-decade team defense. There were a lot of really great players. And, you know, Jared, I had a lot of fun going through those two articles just to kind of dig back through what the last 10 years have been like. makes me feel kind of old. I'm not going to lie. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, 2020 is here. I never thought we're closer to 2050 than we are to uh, to like 1990 or something like that. So that alone, to me, is, is just crazy to think about. And uh, you know, we're get, we're getting up there, man.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, time time has a tendency to fly. And as I'm writing, you know, Stephen Pia, Sean Mannion, Brandon Cooks, I was like, you know, it wasn't, it didn't seem like all that long ago that you know, Oregon State was having really good success. And, Absolutely. and, you know, it, that's when you look at it, it really wasn't that long ago. They had a bad stretch, obviously, and it's been a really cu- a rough, you know, couple years. But for the decade as a whole, there's still been some talent that came through here. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, that's inspirational to all these kids because Jonathan Smith's, you know, message uh, above all else is that it's been done in Corvallis and it can be done again in terms of winning and success. And given what we've seen from Jonathan in the first two years, I would say the Beavers are trending way up heading into the next decade and arguably have the most momentum behind the program in, you know, sometime maybe even the top momentum of the decade.
1: There's no doubt about it, and I think you can kind of see that when you when you look at that all-decade team that you made, that that a lot of the players, maybe not a lot of them, but there were certainly a good amount of players on both of those lists that, that are from, you know, the Jonathan Smith era. Now, whether he recruited them or not doesn't really matter because you have guys like Isaiah Hodgins, I saw a few offensive linemen as well on there. And I mean, that to me just says exactly kind of what you were just saying, that that things are trending up and there's good players in the system now. They're bringing in better player, not better players, but they're bringing in good players in the system as well. And uh, things are just going to continue getting better as long as things continue to trend that way.
0: Yeah, let me just let me just say, and I think Beaver uh, Beaver's Edge fans will agree with me. Finding that all-decade defense team, I wish I could have just kind of included like 2010 to 2015. After that, it wasn't a great time to find Oregon State defenders, and that's why you look at a big part of the list, you know, you see Jordan Poirier, you see Rashad Reynolds, a lot of the guys in the early 2000s when the Beavers were still, you know, winning some games and even go back to the 2012 season, their last real, uh, you know, arguably elite season when they went 9-4, and uh, you know, it's just it's good times. And I'm sure Beaver fans have enjoyed uh, being able just to kind of relive those moments a little bit.
1: Yeah, I would imagine they would. And it seems like better times are ahead. And it wouldn't surprise me to see another one of those seasons in the near future.
0: I'm uh, moving uh, on ahead to some of your recruiting stuff, Jared, just to wrap up. You've been doing uh, a, a great series right now on Beaver's Edge. We've been working on the recruiting storylines of 2019. Why don't you kind of mm-hmm. just give us a brief uh, snippet of what's going on over there and maybe entice some of these listeners to go check it out?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So basically, we've just been kind of running through some of the the bigger storylines from the 2020 recruiting cycle. Just kind of the the things that the staff kind of focused on and the things that really were highlighted throughout 2019 that, that may have slipped your mind uh, as it was going on, just because it's such a such a crazy and hectic time trying to keep up with all the players. But there's actually a lot of things going on. So uh, we kind of try to, to wrap all that into what we've turned into three stories. We've got number three and number two up right now. Number three was keeping talent in the state. So, obviously, with the additions of John Miller and Junior Walling, both of those kids, uh, being from Oregon, big deal to keep those kind of kids in the state. Two really promising prospects at linebacker and also made quite, made, it, made quite a good bit of noise on the offensive side of the ball as well, uh, throughout their high school career. So, really good to keep those in state players in the state and, uh, playing, playing for Oregon State here in the future. Number two was, uh, the Golden State Pipeline, which is California for any of you who may not know that. Um, but a big highlight for the class. And I think every class moving forward and probably every class in the past as well is, uh, to recruit the state of California. And that's not just the Oregon State thing. It's a, it's a nationwide thing because the state of California simply produces great players. And it's, it's not a thing that's just happening this year. But, uh, Oregon State definitely made a splash this year by signing 12 players from California. They have 13 committed with Alex Lemon being from, uh, from San Diego, I believe. Uh, but 12 of them signed. So that's always a great thing to, to be able to dip into such a, such a fertile recruiting ground in California and, uh, bring those players to Oregon to play. So next up will be, uh, will be tonight, actually. Well, I guess by the time this is posted, it'll already be up, but number one we Will be uh just kind of sealing the deal, being able to sign and uh, finish such a great class in a class that, like we already noted on this podcast, was that uh it was one of the the better ones in the in the last decade. So that'll be the number one. It's been really cool to to kind of look at the kind of year and review and see see how it all went down. And now as we finish and, and head over to 2021, I'm excited to see what kind of storylines will develop as the year goes on.
0: I'm going to try to find uh, the clip, but there were a couple of things that stood out to me in what you said. And, and the first is, uh, I got to give credit to John Miller, you know, very quietly was named 6A defensive player of the year. You know, I mean, not a ton of, uh, of uh, you know, notice around that. But, you know, Tualatin being in 6A, I mean, just, you know, explaining it to you, Jared, is, you know, I'd say Tualatin is maybe the second tier of 6A team, maybe even third tier. So for Miller to win 6A player of the year, that's huge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's very, very, very well deserved. I mean, like I said, he, he lit it up. He could probably could have gotten offensive player of the year, too. Uh, I mean, he he and he and uh, Junior both just absolutely tore it up. The guy had 118 tackles. So, I mean, that's pretty, pretty stellar work and just proves that he's flying all over the field. I'm not sure how they ended up doing in the playoffs, but I mean, in a 10 game schedule, that's 11 tackles a game. So definitely really impressive stuff from him and, and well-deserved to get that really prestigious award because, I mean, a lot of players. And 6A is a really good division to play in, so very good to have those kind of guys coming into the program.
0: And then you mentioned California, and I'm just going to bring up a quick clip just because it was really relevant here a couple weeks ago. Reggie Bush joined Colin Cowherd a couple weeks ago. They were talking about recruiting in USC. Jared, did you hear the clip?
1: I did hear it. That was – I mean, he spoke nothing but the truth.
0: All right, I'm going to go ahead and play this clip real quick here for those uh, just so I can kind of get a perspective on this.
1: Even when Alabama's down, they can recruit. Exactly, and that's the same thing for USC. Even when they're down, they can still recruit. And so to see this happen, to see USC be last in the Pac-12 and recruit, like what is Oregon State selling that USC isn't, you know what I mean, to get these kids to
2: to stay uh, in California? People chose Corvallis. Over.
0: That's crazy. Here's the other thing. <laughs> That's crazy. I, 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 people chose Corvallis over USC and Colin Coward's response is crazy. What are your thoughts on that, Jared?
1: I mean, USC's always been one of the better recruiting schools in the entire country. And uh, as you see, the, the tides kind of turn a little bit. It is, It is a bit crazy just to kind of see them fall from that because I've seen situations where kids say they're – a thousand percent committed to a school, they get a USC offer and then, you know, they go out there for an official visit or something. And the next day they're all of a sudden committed to USC. So it kind of just, that doesn't seem to be happening anymore. And uh, it's kind of crazy because it's prime location, great school, great history, great program. It's just, uh, I'm not really sure what's going on with them on the on the recruiting trail.
0: No, and, and, and I relate it to Oregon State because I just, I found it so comical that, Cowherd and Reggie Bush were so taken back by the fact that Jonathan Smith and his staff dominated California. And, and, you know, gotta give the, the absolute clap to those guys because you're right. You know, when Jonathan Smith and his staff came in, they, you know, they laid out a plan, you know, the Beavers prior in the Anderson era kind of recruited all over the place. You know, you had coaches in Florida, you had some coaches, um, and, you know, a few in California, but they didn't exactly settle on california right they weren't like you know we're going to dominate this landscape compared to jonathan smith who has put that foot forward and again to see reggie bush you know one of the premier running backs to ever play the game and Mm -hmm. you know colin cowherd who's you know obviously one of the most national uh names out there be able to bring oregon state up in that segment and be essentially saying oregon state out recruited usc beaver fans should be knocking over a bottle of champagne
1: Absolutely. I mean, it, also you can kind of look at the work that they've done on the field as well going in and and beating Cal and UCLA. Big time. I mean, that's it helps do that as well. Of course, not the best game against USC, but it doesn't really matter because <laughs> like you said they they went in, they dominated the state and they were able to bring a lot of really good talent to uh to Corvallis instead of, you know, USC, so definitely an interesting thing do, going on. I do want to ask.
0: Like I do want to ask your opinion on one thing as we start to wrap up uh, this segment of the Edge Podcast. Make sure to stay tuned. We'll also have Mitch Mangi and Ron Callen of Oregon State uh, joining us a little bit later. But Jared, just in your opinion, obviously not naming names or anything, do you believe that of the California kids that recruited, at least one of them committed to Oregon State because they won either at Cal or at UCLA? Do you believe that the Beavers winning either the game in Berkeley or the game in UCLA guaranteed them at least one kid, one kid that was like, okay, that's going to be the, the, the final straw. Do you think that was that impactful?
1: That's a great question. And there's a couple different ways you can look at it because you have to think as well. I mean, if if that's the case, if if a kid does say, I'll go to your school, if you beat this school, (laughs) then you also have to take into consideration that the same thing could happen if you lose a game. And obviously uh there's a lot of improvements going on on the field but they still went five and seven which is not where they want to be not where anybody wants them to be so for that reason I would have to say no simply because I believe that if they were saying if you're going to win a game I'll come then they would be saying if you lose this game I'm not going to come it just that's just kind of the, the I feel like that's the most logical explanation for that and it's a it's a weird situation and it certainly helps. Like I said, it certainly does help because it's cool to go into those states and and get the wins and obviously those schools have some great visitors on campus watching and both being recruited by the California schools and Oregon State as well. So without a doubt, it does help, but I wouldn't say that it necessarily seals the deal.
0: Okay, no, that, that's a that's a good perspective and you know you just have to think you know of a situation where you know, maybe a kid is on the fence about going to Oregon State, you know, right? They're an up-and-coming program. Maybe he's got an offer from a more established school, but maybe Oregon State, you know, offers that immediate playing time and you see a kid maybe from L.A. or maybe from the Bay Area that, you know, when Oregon State comes in and beats the hometown team, you're like, oh, okay, this team's, you know, on the horizon. This team is coming up. And I, I think that that's where this year, I think winning those two games was absolutely crucial.
1: Yeah, no, nah, like I said, it definitely it does have an effect, and it will certainly turn some heads if nothing else. But I'm not ready quite yet to say that it uh it's the the final straw in uh in a kid's recruitment.
0: No, no, de- most definitely. And uh, you know, Jared, uh, as we kind of wrap up the segment here, uh, what are your kind of uh, initial uh, or final thoughts heading into uh, February? Now, you know, we've got about a month before the last signing day. What are you looking for from Jonathan Smith over the next month? Obviously you know, uh, looking in, you know, maybe have some visits and whatnot. What does the next month look like for Jonathan Smith and co on the recruiting side of things?
1: Yeah, so they have uh, they have some good visitors coming in on the offensive line like we were talking about earlier. So definitely looks like they're targeting uh, the positions of need that they kind of didn't completely fill from the early period. So if there was anything that I was looking for, that would certainly be it. Just fill those positions of need and uh, get a good start building relationships for for 2021. Because uh I mean, John Miller committed to Oregon State in December last year. Yep. So he was committed as a twenty twenty prospect by the time the twenty nineteen class was signing. So obviously they don't have that yet, and it's not something that you need to have by any means at all. But definitely we'll want to get a start on that twenty twenty one class and uh continue targeting the the twenty twenty guys as well. So uh make sure you stay tuned in on the site. We have some updates on the offensive linemen that we'll be visiting. And uh, as more things continue to develop, we will be the place to, to find all the information.
0: There it is. Uh, Jared Hallis, a.k.a. J Money, as I call him, always coming in with the uh, clutch impact and uh, clutch recruiting knowledge. Jared, I appreciate uh, you jumping on the podcast and uh, hope to uh, talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Stay tuned. Coming up next, we'll have Mitch Manji and Ron Callen joining us here on the Edge podcast. That was Jared Hallis. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Edge podcast. Brendan Slaughter uh, here, managing editor. Just got done with the segment with Jared Hallis, and now I'm joined by Mitch dot BeaversEdge.com writer, still down in Corvallis. Mitch, how's life down in Corvo?
3: Well, it's going pretty good right now. You know, it could be a little bit better with uh, Beaverson won last night, but... You know, it is
0: what it is. I guess. Yeah. No. Uh, let's just go ahead and talk a little bit about the men's and women's basketball teams. Where we go to Mitch Manji, our insider down there in Corvallis, Oregon State. Obviously, dropped that game to Utah yesterday. Just, what are your thoughts about that game? The Beavers. You know, Zach Reichel played well. Uh Trace Tinkle right. tried to do what he could, but. You know, to lose that game, Utah was not on shouldn't have been on the same level as the Beavers. Beavers should have won that game.
3: Yeah, I think so too. The the biggest thing is that I've been high on Reichel most of the season. Really like what he can do. Obviously his shooting has not been there and one of those guys you, you want to call him a three point specialist, but he's been so inconsistent most throughout most of the year. First half they were okay, I guess. I mean Trace was really carrying them, and then as soon as he had no scoring in the second half, it was the, the team just was looked deflated. They really need to get another consistent score on offense. Ethan Thompson has to be able to show up every single night. And, again, I, w- I really want to see Wayne Tinkle get a lot more of the rotation going, especially would have liked to see it a little more in the non-conference schedule, but especially with these early slate games. really want to see guys like Johnny Hunt, um, Jared Lucas, and others coming off the bench, Sean Miller Moore, another one, getting a little bit more of that extended run because this team has to be deep if they want to do well and try to reach the tournament.
0: You know, you mentioned right there, and I really liked what Sean Miller-Moore has brought to the table, too. I think he's been right. very underrated this year, you know, as he's kind of getting his feet wet in Wayne Tinkle's system. But, you know, oh. just to kind of step, take a step back, Mitch, looking at that game, you know, I listened to Wayne Tinkle after the game, and we'll hear from Ron Callen on the women's basketball side uh, coming up here in the next segment. <laughs> but listening to Wayne Tinkle last night in the post game, talking to Mike Parker, he was saying things like, Our team has to be tougher. Our team has to work harder. Why are we hearing that from a group that has a bunch of seniors? I mean, that's ludicrous to me. Yeah, you know, I
3: think a lot of it's the mentality. I think that, and it's unfortunate to say, but I think the Beavers are complacent with mediocrity. I don't think that there's a whole lot of drive there to take that extra step to the next level. Um, I don't know if that starts with a head coach. Um, It might. Obviously, I'm not going to, Go out and say that we need to, that Oregon State rather needs to fire Wayne Tinkle and to, you know, have success. But when you're relying on guys like the, that are the two coaches' kids, you'd expect to have that really like the toughness, I guess the demeanor should really already be present in the team. I mean, why that has to be something that he's addressing now, especially at the start of the conference schedule.
0: No, and the thing with the, with the thing with me, Mitch, is you know, as I've kind of looked through, it, you know, one of the more popular conversations on the damn board, and you can check that out at Beaver'sEdge.com. We got a free 30 day trial working right now. Uh, you can come in and join for free for 30 days. Head on over to Beaver'sEdge.com, and check that out. But one of the more interesting debates on the damn board has been Gary Payton Senior versus Trace Tinkle, in the sense that it's very likely Trace Tinkle will be in position to break Gary Payton's all time scoring record. But the debate was, there should be no contest of who's the better player, and I couldn't agree more. Gary Payton and Trace Tinkle are not even in the same stratosphere right now. you agree with me on that, Mitch?
3: Yeah, and and it's unfortunate because I think that Gary Payton, obviously, you know, hands down, one of the four best basketball players, uh, you know, set foot on the court. But at the same time, Trace is really talented, and you'd like to see him kind of be able to, and he doesn't really have that I guess I'd say I'd call it takeover ability. He's not one that, you know, when he's on, he's on. And when, he's, when he has nights where he struggles in the second half, you can't have that. And it's, it's you know, again, it comes back to this thing about it, that it's unfortunate because they should be in such a better position than they are. Uh Bears should not have lost to Texas A&M. That was a huge game on the road that they dropped. Obviously, they should have been probably more um, competitive with Oklahoma if not won that game. So really, when you look about look back at it, This is a good basketball team, and you're wondering why, sitting back, and I think a lot of people are wondering why they haven't put all the pieces together yet.
0: No, and you mentioned it right there. I mean, last night, not a recipe for success uh, in Salt Lake, because the people shoot less than 40%. They shoot 14% from three-point range. But, you know, as you look at the box score, I mean, obviously Trace is going to give you what he gives you. But why does Kyler Kelly have four points? I mean, Kyler Kelly not being a, I, I expected expected—that's been one of the biggest surprises to me. I expected Kyler Kelly to be a double-double machine this year, and he, yeah. the offense has not come for him, which, you know, uh, you know, I'm a little puzzled at. You know, he had an entire offseason yeah. to get really ready to be this starting-caliber center because with Kelly's size, there should be about one or two guys in the conference that can body him up and actually take him out of his game— but here against Utah he scores 4 points in 32 minutes on only 7 shots. That's just not enough right. production for a guy that's got that much of a mismatch every single night.
3: Yeah, and you got to give Utah a lot of credit because they were bringing the double team to Kelly down on yep. the post. They didn't let him get going. Also, you got to credit Utah's 3-point shooting. They were lights out last yep. night. So, those are two things that Utah did really well. They played, you know, a complete basketball game the Beavers didn't. But going back to Kyler Kelly, obviously they got a Sometimes I just want to see them just dump the ball and let him take whoever's guarding him one-on-one and, you know, just go to work down in the post. Now, he's kind of worked on that hook shot. It didn't go several times. There was one I remember distinctly. It was in and out. I was like, oh, that should have gone down. But he's grown. He's taken steps from last year, but he's not to the point of where he needs to be to be helping the or to, like you said, be a double-double machine night in and night out.
0: And then uh, I just got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, to Timmy Allen last night for from yeah. Utah. Oh my goodness! Absolutely went off. Uh, only a few inches shorter, but Mitch, am I wrong in saying the next Kuzma? Question mark.
3: I don't know if you could go that far. He's a he's a very good basketball player, nonetheless. But I mean, I think in recent memory, Kyle Kuzma's is the best basketball player to come out of the Utah program. But you know, oh, you're
0: forgetting about your boy Andrew Bogut. Helped you win your Warriors titles, Mitch. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I was thinking recent history, you know, <laughs> close. Maybe it's been the last couple of years, but, you know, I, got, I love Bogat, too.
0: But, yeah, no, so. I mean, it, it. it's, uh, it's, it, I mean, overall, I was just shocked. You know, it's kind of more, it's, it's yeah. almost, you know, one of those things that, uh, you know, it was kind of like when, uh, when I saw the Blazers lose to the Knicks the other night, you're just kind of shocked right. and taken back a little bit. And that's what mm-hmm. I was with this game because I, not that I expected Oregon State to win necessarily because I predicted a split on this road trip. Because right. this is the toughest road trip in the Pac-12. Hands down. Mm-hmm. You have to go to two different states. It's altitude at both. Both have incredibly great home court advantages. But now the problem for the Beavers, Mitch, is that they're going to play a Colorado team that just upset Dana Altman and co. What, I mean, yeah. what's the mindset going into that other than maybe being able to catch the Buffaloes a little, you know, high on their horse, so to speak, and maybe not quite as attentive after such a program defining win?
3: Well, Vegas didn't underestimate the Buffaloes because Oregon was only one-and-a-half-point favorites in that game. Interesting. So that was one of the things that I was like, okay, you know, I, I thought Oregon was overrated at four. Um, I agreed. I and, agreed. I, and one of the biggest – I mean, you saw Gonzaga is the number one right now. They were struggling to close out Portland State. Um, they were actually trailing for a majority of that game yesterday. So it's interesting when you see teams that don't get as much credit like a Colorado, like a Utah – I think that the Beavers kind of go into that with the same mentality of, you know, oh, we're playing a lesser opponent, we don't have to bring our A game per se, which is something you just can't have, especially if you're a team that's really pushing because they're not even at this point. I wouldn't consider them even a bubble team for the NCAA tournament with the performances against, you know, losing to A&M, Oklahoma, and now this loss on the road against Utah. It's just games that they can't afford to lose that they're losing.
0: Well, again, the Oklahoma loss, you know, I was at that game up here at Moda Center, and that was a game that was winnable, but you could tell, okay, the Beavers, right. you know, made some mistakes, you know, maybe that's their one loss. The Utah loss doesn't even bother me a ton because it's a conference opening loss. Again, Huntsman Center, biggest arena in the Pac-12, right. so on so Utah
3: forth. Utah played really well, too. It's the so.
0: A&M loss that, yeah, yeah. you mean, not even only losing, but losing by 15 and arguably not really even being in that game.
3: Right. And and they they couldn't close the game out. I mean, it was as simple as that. Cause they were playing well at the start. And you're like, okay, you know, it looks like they're starting to get some momentum here, and then all of a sudden, that's it's kind of like what happened to Utah in Utah, where the second half they just go completely. I mean, the offense is just missing. So, you know, and that's where you've got to have even Thompson to be able to step up. Obviously, four fouls less, I in and out of foul trouble, but. He's one of those guys who's got to be able to say, you know, okay, well, isn't scoring. So I've got to, you know, start to take over a little bit more. Again, Kyler Kelly, all right, so you know, if we don't have a score, Kyler Kelly needs to be able to say, hey, you know, feed me the ball. I want to, you know, I want the ball in my hands when we need offense. And, one of the, and obviously – um I like Gianni Hunt. What he's done, I think he's really good, especially on the defensive end. You know, he's super athletic, and he's one of those guys that can really motivate the team and jumpstart a run. Especially saw his dunk in transition last night. He's got the athletic ability to, and he's very talented at the point guard spot. So, those are some of the guys that are, to me, have to be able to say, you know, all right, we need some a jumpstart here. We need to be able to get our offense going. We need. Uh, to lock down at the defensive end to start a run, and and they just really haven't shown the ability to do that at all this year.
0: No, and, and again, great points, Mitch. That's Mitch dot uh, beaversedge.com. Thanks for sticking with us here on the Edge podcast. I'm Brendan Slaughter. Joined live in Corvallis from Mitch Manji, and we'll go ahead and wrap it up here, Mitch. Uh, Colorado Sunday, you know, we mentioned it a little bit ago, the Buffs upsetting the Ducks. What does Oregon State have to do to stay in that game? And, you know, you can't look at it as an unwinnable game because Colorado's good, and they're undoubtedly good. I looked at them this year, and they ran through their non-conference pretty impressively. But at the same token, Oregon State still hasn't, in my opinion, played to their ability all year. So if they play that game, you know, I can see them, you know, keeping it close.
3: Right. I think the the first key, well, I'm going to give you two. One offense, one defense. Offensively, the Beavers need to shoot the ball. Even more, and I don't even care if they're making it or not. They just need to get more three-point shots up because they're a tenth or eleventh in the conference in in a three-point shooting. So it's not the fact that they don't have a high three-point percentage as a team. It's the fact that they don't take as many shots as other teams. Even you look at Washington State; they don't have a huge percentage, but you know they get the three-ball, and then that offense can really put some points up on the scoreboard. So that's obviously what I think they have to do offensively. Defensively, I think it's pretty simple. You gotta stop McKinley right. He's the heart and soul of that team. He's the one who when he's on,
0: Colorado's on and
3: last night he had a really good game against Oregon and that's one of the reasons that they were able to squeak out the upset.
0: I love your defensive thing there, Mitch, and just last thing for me, just because it kinda you reminded me a little bit when uh, you mentioned it, but one of the biggest things that I that we've seen for several years now, it's been that Wayne Tinkle has not had a good offense. You know, Wayne yeah. Tinkle's had a very good defense. He's a great defensive coach, and I thought mm-hmm. this last off season when the when the Beavers Blazers Beavers, excuse me, uh, moved um, Greg Gottlieb from a coaching role to more of an administration role, and then moved a new uh, another coach in to kind of take that offensive maybe a little bit more of the offensive um, schemes. I thought it would maybe mm-hmm. make a difference. We haven't seen anything different. It's the same Oregon State offense we've seen for ever since right. Wayne Tinkle's been here. And to be honest... we
3: lack of an offense.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned it, Mitch. I mean, I think Wayne and company need to, you know, take a page out of the Warri- the former Warriors book and just start shooting more threes. I mean, that is where basketball is going, is, you know, the three-point yeah. shot. And the Beavers have shooters, they have shooters. and Don Miller,
3: get, Jared Lucas, those guys need to get shots up. And, if they, when they get hot, they get going.
0: And, you know, we talked and, in, in the preseason, I remember you talking about it too, the Beavers talked about wanting to get out and run more. We haven't seen that. Get out and right. run. Shoot shots in transition. Take transition threes.
3: Push the tempo.
0: And, you know, has it, it been scheme, maybe whatever it is, you know, the Beavers, it's early enough. They have time to figure it out. But if they want to make the NCAA tournament, they need to figure something out quick. Otherwise, this season's going to be NIT at best. And at that point, you pretty much wasted Trace Singles' senior season, in my opinion. He's a good enough player. You should be able to put a team around him that can compete for the tournament.
3: Right. And one of the things that Trace has done so well is added that three-point shot. You know, he's got it up. I, th- I think at one point last night after he made a three, it was uh, up to 50% yeah. on the season. Tell him to shoot it more. Again, Ethan Thompson needs to take more shots. Reichel needs to take more shots. Even if they're not hitting him, just start shooting, and uh, you know, because we know that they're proven shooters. There's, they, otherwise, they would not be on the team. So just keep taking shots, and eventually they should start falling.
0: In the in the sense of positive news, Mitch. Just because you brought it up, my biggest thing with Trace Tinkle after last year, I go he shot I think in the uh, in the low thirties. I said if he can get that three point shot. or better, it will completely change how he's looked at as an NBA prospect. And shooting this well, uh, again, I made the bold take a year ago. I thought Trace Tinkle was going to be a first-round pick, and I'm sticking with it because if he can shoot this well, you see the diversity, ball handling, being able to shoot, take it off the dribble, get contact. I think he's going to be at least get a chance at the next level.
3: Oh, yeah, he'll get a chance for sure. And I don't know, I'm not as, you know in tune with the draft prospects and whatnot, it's obviously a lot harder with the with the NBA kind of more hitting this. But yeah, I think Chris will get a shot at the next level. And one of the things I like that he's done is he's always ready to shoot. Um, they need to get him the ball so he can catch him to shoot. I think that's when he's most effective.
0: Yeah, if there's one consensus about this upcoming NBA draft, it's that it's not necessarily bad or weak. It's just a lot of unknowns and a lot of unpredictability. Right. And that's why you see... You know, even the teams in the NBA that are tanking right now, you don't really know where they're going to go because prospects are moving up and down like crazy. And that's where I think, you know, Trace Tinkle is on the notice of quite a few, just about everybody now. You know, I think he'd be a, a late, late first round pick, but I think he will have the talent mm-hmm. to be taken in like the 20, late 20s just because he's a versatile wing. Um, you know, I'd still like to see him become a better on ball defender. And that will be something that will be asked of him a lot at the next level, but. As it stands right now, I mean, it's you know that's kind of the positive you're talking about because the team is not playing well.
3: Yeah, exactly. And and again, you got to go back to have, you know your stars and Ethan Thompson and as well as Tinkle. I mean, they just got to be able to dominate the ball game, and we haven't seen it this year. So that's one of the things that's kind of holding me back on the Trace Tinkle draft stock train. But
0: other enough, than that, yeah. I think
3: they're I think that. You know, very talented player, and I'd like to see what he can do at the next level.
0: Again, Oregon State uh, back in action on Sunday. They play Colorado at 3 p.m. You can catch that game on ESPNU. You can also catch it uh, right here on 1190 KEX as well. Uh, Mitch, thanks for joining us here on the Beaver's Edge podcast. Always appreciate it. Money Mitch as I call him. Uh, coming in in the clutch with the Corvallis input appreciate uh, you jumping on and uh, look forward to doing it again sometime soon Mitch
3: yep no problem I'm about to go see the movie Uncut Gems so I'll let you know how good it
0: is appreciate it uh, that's Mitch Manji. we'll be right back with Ron Callen here on the Beaver's Edge podcast welcome back to the Beaver's Edge podcast pleased to be joined by the voice of Oregon State women's basketball Ron Callen live from Gill Coliseum Oregon State set to play Utah later this evening Ron how are you doing and how are your holidays my friend
2: you know, I am awesome. I had a great holiday with uh, the kids and my two young grandkids who took over my place. <laughs> it was really fun they're They were out of control, but in a good way, and we had a great uh, Christmas meal and you know, a little bit of a break from basketball. But we got back to action on last Sunday when Bakersfield came to town, and uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I was pretty impressed with five thousand five hundred and thirty four for that game with. No students yep. with Sunday noon start time. I, I, Beaver Nation loves this team.
0: No, and you mentioned it right there. And, you know, that's, that's been something that's been a staple of Scott Ruick ever since, you know, he started to build this program is that, you know, if you, the the old saying, Ron, if you build it, they will come and you look at what they've done attendance wise. I think the women's basketball Civil War has been sold out for several weeks. I mean, there's some attendance figures that are just astounding for what they've been able to do right now.
2: I know I've got some people who've asked me for tickets to that game,
0: and I had to say, hey, that is a
2: sellout. I'm sorry, but uh, maybe we can sneak you in. I, I don't know. All I know is that that is going to be, well, two both games will be dynamic and exciting. And I mean, this Pac-12 is so deep and talented. You, you look at the start of Pac-12 play with uh, the Beeves in Utah and in Colorado this weekend, you think, well, maybe that's a soft landing. But if you look at Utah – There's a kid who's a freshman from Gig Harbor, Brenna Maxwell. She has 34 three-pointers. She's shooting in the mid-40s, and uh, they're going to have to slow her down tonight because if she gets going, uh, she can help Utah. I mean, Lynn Roberts, 0-6 lifetime against Oregon State, and so, you know, they want to win this one bad.
0: No, and I remember Utah has played Oregon State very, very tough. Lynn Roberts, you know, obviously one of the most respected coaches that I have in the Pac-12. I love what she's done with that program um and as you mentioned the beavers hosting the utes tonight the men's team dropped a game to utah uh yesterday but looking ahead to this weekend ron the opening weekend you have utah and colorado at home obviously you know oregon state doesn't get a ranked opponent until they play arizona next week as they're the number three team in the land and but it's kind of arbitrary because as we all know the pac-12 is very very good and i'm sure coach rook would back that up
2: oh there's no doubt about it he's got four undefeated teams and uh the team that's coming in here Sunday, of course, they're playing in Oregon tonight, but Colorado, in today's latest ESPN Bracketology, is listed now as a 10 seed, and they have seven Pac-12 teams going to the wow. big dance. So right now, Colorado is a tournament team. Are they for real? I think we'll find out when they play the Ducks and the Beavers this weekend. You think about this Pac-12 uh, schedule, you know, it does favor UCLA because they don't have to come to Oregon this year. Definitely. And so that helps them out. But, hey, you know, every game you got to take a one at a time, the old cliche goes. And uh, I think Scott's got a team that, even though he's got a couple of freshmen on this team, they're mature, they're focused, and they're pretty dynamic. They've got so much talent.
0: There's There was a uh, something I wanted to ask you on, Ron, just your opinion. Uh, I believe it was last week in an ESPN article wrote that kind of broke down the top teams. And several of the ESPN analysts, the headline was why Oregon State should be number one and not UConn. And you had Charlie Cream and a few others that advocated that Oregon State could very well be, have a very strong case, maybe even the best case to be the number one team in the land. Ron, you've seen this team better than anybody this year in your opinion, are, is that something that's deserving, and would you say that they are?
2: You know, I would say it's early, is what I would say. <laughs> Fair enough. I think, got the, I think they've got the potential, sure. Why not? I mean, they, they've had a, a tougher schedule than normal. They had to prepare for a WNIT, which they won, beating two top 20 teams there. They go to Miami, knock off uh, the University of Miami over the Thanksgiving weekend, which has a, uh, a post that will be a first-round WNBA draft choice. And uh, then they got off to a horrible start on Maui against BYU, scored just four points in the first quarter. Uh, the officials were frustrating Coach Ruick and the players. Yep. Scott ended up with a technical foul. Then they kind of just, okay, w- let's take this game over. I think they outscored them 61 or 62 to 21 over the rest of that game. So uh, the defense is what's going to win them a potential trip to the final four and maybe a number 1 ranking. And that is what they they they've always had great defense uh and that that could be the key in this tough Pac-12 which you know I mean hey Scott said the other day that you know he loves the fact they've got a great offense this year and they can win with offense but to win with great defense that can get you those championships that can get you deep in the tournament uh with your disciplined and focused and you Play that shutdown defense like they did against Hawaii at home recently when they held them what the 32
0: points. Now you mentioned it there and Scott Ruick. One of the things that I've always had, you know, had the pleasure of covering covering him uh, for multiple outlets for several years and. There was one statistic I know that he holds higher than any other, and that's field goal percentage defense. And he wants to see that yep. number be in the top five every single year. And I think the Beavers are roughly in the top 15. I think they're like 11th or 12th right now in field goal percentage defense, maybe a little bit higher. Um, but that's a number that he always prides himself on. And for the Beavers to have the offense combined with that, that's why we've seen such an elite team. And the two players I want to ask you about, Ron, could you have expected this kind of a start from Taylor Jones and what she's brought to the table as a true freshman?
2: Well, you know, I think Kennedy Brown came with more hype because Definitely. of the McDonald's All-America label. But uh, Taylor's made such a great adjustment. You know, she had injury issues in high school. She's come out strong. thing I like about her, she gets that basketball and she doesn't bring it down. She just keeps it up high and puts it up off the glass and good so many times. Plus, she's a good shot blocker, averaging six uh, Block shots. You know, so far this season, the Beavers have blocked 74 shots to 21 for their opponents. And, you know, that's Kennedy Brown. That's Michaela. And that is, of course, Taylor Jones. I like Taylor's play. I like her attitude. She's tough. And there was a play in the Bakersfield game. I don't know if you saw the game, but, uh, you know, it looked like, you know, the Bakersfield was maybe out hustling them, but she got the ball deep inside against Vanessa Austin, who's six four. Uh, just a real tough player inside, and she backed herself in, dribbled a couple of times, put it off the glass, and then had the fist pump with, yeah, and maybe an expletive that we can't say on the (laughs) radio, but, you know, she was playing tough, and, and, you know, that's what you want to see. You don't want to see players being intimidated. You want them to be the intimidators, and I think Taylor Jones, I mean, she's only played 12 college games, Brandon,
0: you know? No, I mean, you mentioned it there with Taylor Jones, and the other thing that I, uh, that I really like, you like that. You mentioned that toughness, Ron. Do you think that, uh, that, tuc- that, that toughness comes from being Texas tough?
2: Maybe. You know, I mean, hey, te- Texas, you know,
0: uh, I, I just talked to her about
2: football down there, you know, yeah. and how big football is and physical and the big crowd. So she's not intimidated by anything. It'll be interesting to see how she handles the Pac-12, though. I mean, I talked to Michaela Pivik about it 30 minutes ago. This will be her 60th Pac-12 game, counting tournament games tonight. So if you ask anybody about what's the Pac-12 like, Michaela's got the answers, and she says, man, oh, man. Uh, Scott Rook had a great metaphor for it. She she told the team that, uh, you know, non-conference is kind of like middle school. You know, the grades don't really count. You're, 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 you're young. But yep. then you get to high school, it's all different. That's what... Uh, he kind of compares non-conference to conference play. And so I'm excited for this weekend. And, uh, uh, you know, hey, they, they expect to be 14-0 and after tonight and Sunday.
0: No, and you mentioned it there, uh, you know, the Beavers – You know, they've they got a couple winnable games this weekend, and, you know, we just got done talking with Taylor Jones. Last thing I want to ask you, Ron, Kat Tudor, she's been back. She's played in 10 games this year, averaging 8.8 points per game. Do you think she's still kind of settling into her rhythm? I think some Beaver fans are maybe wondering why she hasn't broken over that double-digit scoring where she was prior to the injury. In terms of her comfort level and getting back on the floor, do you see her getting better each and every game? And with that being said, do you think she'll be Back to her old self come, you know, some point in Pac twelve play.
2: I think uh I think she is. And I think the second game in Maui, uh it really showed us that she's back. Her dad, Greg Tudor, uh he worked her out after the practice before the BYU game, and she shot about two hundred threes. Wow. And then she she got hot in that game. And I I talked to her after that game and after the Bakersfield game. I think she's more comfortable. I don't think she's thinking about you know the injury at all, I think she's ready to to get back into those double digits, and uh, you know the beavers have such great offense it's just it's just how many minutes will she play
0: no and and you know as you kind of have you know more bodies coming in, you mentioned Kennedy Brown compared to last season when Cat Tudor was you know getting a lot of minutes there's more bodies there's more things, and Scott Rook obviously has yeah. to adjust the rotations accordingly and make sure you know the sugar's being shared, so to speak, but you know I go back to that conversation you have with Michaela Pivak and just kind of hearing that leadership. Ron, it's crazy to think that, you know, it just seems like just yesterday, Michaela Piddick was just a freshman. Time has a sense of flying, doesn't
2: it? Oh, man, it does. And, uh, you know, it's great to see the new kids come in. It's sad to see ones like Michaela end up uh, moving on. And she definitely, you know, I mean, she's projected first-round WNBA in just about every poll I've seen, just because she's the most versatile Beaver player ever in the top ten in rebounding, assists, and scoring. Uh, The only player to ever do that in all three categories at Oregon State.
0: I mean, she's a special talent, and we knew she was a special talent coming in from Linwood, and, you know, she's lived up to just about every expectation, leadership-wise, being a role model on and off the court. Michaela, obviously just a great person, one of my favorite players on that team. Ron, we appreciate you jumping on and uh, have yourself a good call tonight and this weekend, and look forward to having you join the Beaver's Edge podcast sometime soon. Anytime, Mr.
2: Slaughter. Appreciate your time.
0: Thank you very much. That's Ron Cowan. We'll be right back here on the Beaver's Edge podcast welcoming you back into the beaver's edge podcast a big thanks to our guests today we had jared hallis in the first segment talking about recruiting and everything that's going on at beaver's edge then we switched over to mitch manji live from corvallis as he recapped oregon state men's basketball team what's going on with wayne Tinkle's squad as they start conference play and then a big shout out to the voice of the oregon state women's basketball team ron callen for jumping on as well and talking oregon state women's basketball that's going to wrap it up for this edition of The Edge Podcast. It's a happy new year to everyone out there as we record this podcast just prior to the start of the weekend. We want to thank everyone for listening here on The Edge Podcast and remind you to head on over To beaversedge.com, we got a free 30-day trial. That's the best way to get involved and get on the damn board, get the exclusive recruiting news and the exclusive insight on Oregon State athletics. You don't want to miss it. So for Jared Hallis, Mitch Mongey, and Ron Callen, this is Brendan Slaughter signing off on this edition of the Edge Podcast. Have a happy start to 2020, Beaver Nation.